0: Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice, to proven bowhunting tactics, and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Byrd. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today we're going to talk some turkey and whitetails and how you can use some of your spring turkey hunting to do some scouting for fall whitetail season. And to that end, I have on the line today a guest that I have been waiting for a long time uh, to get on the show, uh, that's my friend and uh, turkey hunting, whitetail hunting extraordinaire, fellow Pennsylvania bow hunter, Mister Bo Martonic. Bo, welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> well, Christian, that was uh, quite the intro there. Thank you for for doing that and having me on. I've been I've been looking forward to getting to talk to you here. I, I feel it feels like we've been trying to get each other's schedules to line up for what a couple of years now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I was just joking before I started the show because I said, I've been waiting to have you on forever. And we actually tried to do this last night and we had some technical difficulties. So now I've been waiting forever in a day, buddy. So no pressure. But if tonight's show isn't like kick butt, then I just don't know what we're going to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to work out or I guess it's just not meant to be. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm pretty sure it's meant to be. And yeah, I'm sure that you have a lot to bring uh, to the table here. And, uh, you know, you've added a lot to the magazine over the last, oh, two, three years. I can't remember exactly when you first started writing for us, but I've really appreciated your contributions. And being a, kind of a big woods bow hunter, you're a great compliment to some of the folks uh, that we've worked with for a long time who do more of I, I guess you'd say your traditional you know deer and turkey hunting and farm country so to have a guy like you that's getting you know up and down the ridges and valleys and big uh timbered areas of hardwoods and evergreens and and working uh you know, like clear cut areas and things like that and, and using a lot of terrain where you don't necessarily have, you know, agricultural food sources or field edges uh, has just been great. So with that said, you know, tell me a little bit about what you've been doing here this spring. I'm sure, I know you've been doing a lot of shed hunting and now here we've got turkey season starting on Saturday and so I'm sure you're going to be out chasing some gobblers and I want to kind of hear your strategies for turkeys but i know that you're always kind of keeping deer in mind as you do that as well so i think it's going to be a really interesting discussion
1: yeah and so yeah christian what the the area that i've hunted just for the for the listeners here where i hunt in northern pennsylvania is like you said big unbroken timber you got big ridges you've got a lot of different terrain and vegetation features that interact with that it's just it can be kind of daunting to look at. And, you know, back I grew up hunting in these type of places and when I grew up I thought it was, you know, I was at a disadvantage. I'd watch on television and, and all these TV shows and you know the Lakoskies and stuff that were killing these giant bucks in Iowa and farm country and I was like, you know, this kind of sucks. You know, I'm out here hunting for I could go days on end sometimes without seeing a deer because the deer density can be so low. And what I didn't realize, and what it actually took me till I went out west to really start appreciating what we have here, and, and throughout Pennsylvania, with over two million acres of public land just in northern Pennsylvania and the rest of the Appalachian region and the five point four million hunters that you know have it, those this area, is it's just it's an adventure style. It's a different. It kind of mixes a little bit of a western hunting style with Hunting, um, you know, whitetails essentially and, and and turkeys as well. So this spring, um, my strategy when it goes into hunting whitetails specifically in these big woods setting, it comes down to a lot of scouting, a lot of e-scouting, um, a lot of boots on my ground, just a lot of that. And when I get that done the most is in the springtime. So for the last couple months, I've been just beating feet getting out there I think I have a little over a couple hundred miles on this year again and just covering ground maybe picking up some sheds along the way but really planning out kind of what my fall is going to look like and the way I'm doing that is like I said I'm I'm looking at you know I'm looking at onX online kind of figuring out areas I want to check out I always have like some new areas I want to look at and then also kind of my old trusty tried and true spots and, and I'm going through and just um, you know basically putting boots on the ground. And the reason why the spring is so important is because I can see that sign from last fall, you know, the rubs and the scrapes and, and the beds and just everything you can see so much better. And for me, my most of my strategies are based around the pre-rut and the rut. And the reason for that, a couple of reasons for that. One is seems to be the most you know, fun time a year, and without real bed to food patterns in the Big Woods, it's um, that's your best time to kind of catch them. But also, that's what I'm taking my vacation vacation from work, and I'm spending the most time out there. So I'm trying to put you know the eggs in the basket where you know I have the most time there. I'm trying to really put the odds in my favor. So that's the way I'm scouting for that. While I'm you know out there doing scout for whitetails and everything, pay attention to what I'm finding from turkey sign. And it really starts to, you know, I don't really have a strict, say, turkey scouting strategy. Mine's mostly based off hunting whitetails and what I find while I'm doing that. While I'm scouting whitetails is the what I'm finding turkey sign. But, um, yeah, I, I have been getting out, though, this past week um, before work and, and getting out and just listening some spots and have a few birds roosted that I'm um, looking forward to, um, you know, at the time of recording this, is the Pennsylvania opener on Saturday.
0: Yeah, so a couple questions for you out of what you just said as you're talking um kind of curious first question i have for you you mentioned onyx and you know i'm a big user of the onyx hunt app uh as well as their desktop application of course they're integrated which is nice so if you want to sit down on your computer and look at things and mark you know areas that'll show up on your phone when you pick your phone up or vice versa which is neat um but I didn't really want to get into that so much as ask you what your go-to methods for e-scouting are. So are you doing it mostly on OnX, or is that one of several different tools that you use as you you know, look at areas? And, and, and then as you talk about that, also tell me uh, what it is about a given area that will catch your eye. And and prompt you to say, I want to actually go put some boots on the ground in that area and see what it might have to offer.
1: Yeah, so I'm using probably eighty-five to ninety percent onyx, and what I'm using in addition to that, because with onyx, I'm using mostly the the hybrid layer, which is you have your topographical lines overlaid on top of an aerial imagery. So I'm able to kind of see the lay of the land from what it looks like in the vegetation, but also the topography and how that works to, and coincides together. But I'm uh, the other thing that I'm using is, I'm using Google Earth on, and this is the important part about using Google Earth is, is using the desktop version that you kind of like download to your computer, because this feature I'm gonna discuss isn't available on their, you know, their free free uh, web version. Which the the desktop version is free as well, but it's just you have to download it. And that is the historical imagery. So there's a setting where you can go back and look at different times of year when they took that imagery. And I always look for something that's either fall or winter when the leaves are off the trees. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I can spot out. The hemlock thickets I can look for any different conifer trees you can see the clear cuts and logging cuts better and that really helps um, you know as I'm you know basically I am a home on my computers I have I have my laptop and then I have an external um, screen hooked up to it so I have them both up at one time and I'm kind of going back and forth and being able to figure that out um, what I'm, so what I'm looking for is, depends on kind of what my goals are, but mostly I'm, I don't want to hunt around other people. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to hike back in two, three miles into a spot to get away from people. I can be, you can be pretty close to the road to do that. But for the most part, I'm looking at areas that are at least an hour outside of like a major population area or a city and which where i live kind of in the middle of nowhere that's not a big deal not a problem but i'm using that even for looking at you know other states as well and then i'm diving into looking at specific uh topography features i'm looking um a lot of when you're in some steeper country in the the mountain buck territory as i call it a lot of the the buck bedding you're going to find out on the points of the spurs of a ridge so as as the ridge of a um, mountain comes out towards the end called the point, um, a lot of times that the box are gonna be bedded, you know, somewhere in that upper third of that hill. And also to go a little bit further there, I'm really focusing on south and east facing slopes or or ridges and points that run out because again, hunting the you know, October and November. A lot, a lot of times we're getting more westerly winds or I'm hunting cold fronts that are bringing more of a north or northwestern wind. It's not always the case, but that's what I tend to focus on a little bit more than the, the other points that are facing north or facing west. And so those are some things I'm looking at and as well as some other topography features like you know, your traditional saddle, that uh, you know, basically a low spot in between, to higher spots on a ridge and, you know, because that's a good travel uh, pattern for the bucks to be looking for does coming from the bottom up and over or running the side hills on the ridges. And um, that's uh, another point that I'm, I'm looking at there and what I'm doing, you know, even more importantly than that, I guess there's, there's one other topography feature and that would be trying to identify benches, you know, down over the hills where you're looking at the topography lines, where they might be closer together, meaning it's steeper, and as they spread apart, you get a little bit of a bench. And you know a lot of times uh, that's where the, these bucks will run is either on the bench or just below it or just above it. And that kind of keeps them away from most of the hunting pressure that you're gonna see in the tops and the bottoms. And so I'm looking at that, I'm marking areas that you know have these topography features that I'm looking for. Now I'm looking at the aerial imagery and looking at where are some vegetation features that might catch my eye. you know you can kind of see uh, oak trees like it um, on on X and Google Earth depending on the color if you depending on the when the photo was taken, you know leaves tend to stay green longer than other trees so you can see that. But um, also the hemlock thickets and the clear cuts, these are all creating edges. And you know, that this goes even with farm country, edges, deer love running edges. They're not they don't like running to the middle of an open field. They don't like running through the middle of the thick stuff if they don't have to. You know, they like running those edges. And so if I can find a spot where an edge of a vegetation, say you have an old ten-year-old logging cut that's pretty thick and nasty, is on the edge of you know, a big oak flat, and then you have a topography, like a, um, a draw or saddle that, that runs with that, that's creating natural pinch points from the vegetation side and the topography side. And that's really jumping out at me is place I want to scout. And so as you're, you know, diving into that, that's how I'm doing it online and picking these areas. I'm Marking waypoint points on the web map, which, as you mentioned, automatically go to the OnX Hunt app so you have it on your phone in the field. But those are starting points. Those are educated guesses on what could potentially look good. And then once I get in the field, I go to these places, check them out, check the surrounding areas and what it looks like. But by taking that step and e-scouting ahead of time, you can really cut down on the amount of time you know we're all busy we all don't have a, you know a ton of time to walk in the woods and this really helps you know really narrow that down so how much parallel is there between
0: uh, a good turkey hunting area and a good deer hunting area in the in the types of terrain that you're hunting in um, if, if an area is good for deer is it typically good for turkey or not I'm thinking you could definitely have some conflicts there whereas deer might like some of those uh clear-cut areas that are really thick for bedding i'm thinking yeah turkeys aren't going to really dig that because it's it's too thick and you know obviously they don't want to be completely hemmed in and they they want to be able to see uh you know predators sneaking up and things like that so um you know just talk to me about that and you know how, how much of the turkey hunting that you do is in the same areas uh, as the deer hunting that you do. And and maybe it's relatively close by, but not exactly uh, in the same, you know, spot that you'll
1: sit in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. So to look from a, from a general stance, there's not all, I don't find that there's always turkeys where there's deer, but there's always deer where there's turkeys, if that makes any sense. So, you know, the turkeys seem to know where the food's at and deer kind of live, you know, wherever sporadically through here but the turkeys you know if, if i'm finding them you, you made a good point you know they're, they're not they're not going to be hanging out in an old 10 year old clear cut that's you know thick as can be and they're having you know that they want to be able to see they want to be able to dig and, and and uh be able to walk there so basically those oak ridges are really good um for turkeys but also even out on the, the points if you get some hemlock trees and stuff out there a lot of times they'll roost in those um, you know, even down over the side of the hill, kind of in the valleys there, there um, you find them uh, roosting there. So there's, there's some, you know, with the side hills that they are, you know, some of those same areas that you'll find deer and turkeys. But um, it's actually funny, you mentioned, you know, clear cuts. Last year where I killed my, my turkey, my spring gobbler, there was five different gobblers that were roosted in the middle of this clear cut, that was probably four or five years old. There was a little bench there and a couple big trees and they were roosting in it. And what they were doing was flying down on the logging roads and strutting and running up and down those roads. And then they go into the big timber a little bit later than the day. But it was, a, it was a really odd thing. It's not something that I, I see you know a whole lot, but um, that was kind of a, a funny I, you know, I kind of found it by accident while I was scouting deer when we I came across these turkeys. But for the most part, you know, I'm looking for those big old growth timber ridges and everything for turkeys rather than the, the thicker clear cuts and, and those vegetation features like I would for deer.
0: Now, when you go turkey hunting, uh, are you bow hunting those birds, uh, shotgunning them, or do you do a little bit of both when, when it comes to your turkey hunting?
1: Mostly shotgun hunting. Um, this year I did pick up a second tag in Pennsylvania that uh, hoping to take the bow out for the second second tag if I'm lucky enough to fill the first one. But, um, yeah, for the most part, I, I've been shotgun hunting turkeys here, you know, but seeing lately uh, our mutual friend, Clint Casper, out there just running gun turkeys with his bow, he's going to fire what do- I,
0: I was wondering how long it would take in the episode till we first mentioned Clint Casper. It's uh, 17 minutes and 52, 52 seconds. So, Casper, <laughs> you're in the show. You know, one of these days we're going to get a three-way going with all three of us, and it's going to be massive energy explosion. So. Oh. Yeah. But Casper, he doesn't do any shotgunning. So what were you, I, I'm sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying about Casper and making you, he's making you want to do it with the bow and no blind. Right. Cause that's like his schtick.
1: Yeah. And he's, yeah. Clint's one of those people that'll, that'll get you on and ride you and try to do something, you know, and he, he's, I'll say he's a, he's good and bad influence at times, but uh, Clint, yeah he was texting me about you know going i was like you gotta do it you gotta try it that'd be it'd be cool for you to try to do it in the big woods running gun like that and man i think you know that's it takes some talent to be able to draw on a turkey without a blind and um everything so i i don't know i might have to try to hit him up on that challenge more or less just to shut him up than anything
0: Yeah, you know, if you can if you can do it, I'll be the first one to give you mad props. But we also have to give Clint. You know, I mean, yeah, we got to give him credit where credit is due. But on the other hand, uh, I've been turkey hunting over there with Clint in Ohio a couple times and. He's got a lot of dumb turkeys over there, man, and and you know I I give him I give him you know his his credit because he gets the job done. There's no doubt about it. But until he starts going to like Allegheny National Forest and like hiking around in like mature stands of hardwoods and killing them on the ground with no blind, then that's when I'll know he's reached sort of like the Ph.D. level of bow hunting turkeys.
1: Oh, I think this is calling him out. I, You know, you just kind of screwed me here, Christian, because he's going to show up at my door on Friday night and say he's hunting with me on Saturday. You know that. <laughs> well,
0: whatever it takes, because if you guys go out there with your bows and double up on some big woods birds, that's the headline right there. And I give you a guaranteed double byline cover story for the next year's April, May issue. It's it's. Um it's a, it's the bow bird double by mark Tonic and casper i'll put your pictures on there with your two birds and you guys will get some new endorsements and probably start going on a seminar circuit all around the country hitting the shows and being like these are the two best turkey bow hunters in north america and like you know peterson's bow hunting is where they got discovered so i could live with all that Hey,
1: hey if that's the way it works out we'll, we'll go, go with that <laughs> that'd be that'd be a pretty cool article to be able to do that <laughs> so and you know I
0: was actually wanted to come back to something you said earlier you said you picked up the second tag here which I did as well and as a couple of my friends that I mentioned that to immediately pointed out they were like well that's the kiss of death it means you're definitely not going to kill a turkey at all and uh, seems to be how it usually works out because we have kind of a goof system here in Pennsylvania you can you can kill two spring turkeys But if you want to buy the second tag, you have to buy it before opening day. So you can't wait until you kill one bird. And then if there's, say, like two weeks left in the season, you can be like, great, I'll buy my second tag. No, that's not how they do it. Um, They want to get your money before you know if you really need to spend it. So uh, Bo and I have four tags between us, apparently. Uh, I'm going out Saturday with my 14-year-old son. So that'll definitely be a shotgun hunt. And I'm hoping that we can... Uh, get on some birds we were out yesterday morning and we had a couple birds gobbling so I'm fairly confident that we're in a good area for Saturday you never know how it'll work out but that's my plan is like if if the turkey gods smile upon us you know maybe we'll get a bird killed on Saturday and then if if I was to get lucky and double up with Timmy then Uh, I'd have that second tag to do some bow hunting later in the season. So you or I, you know, we're kind of on the same wavelength, but we're definitely tempting the fates because the hunting gods do not like, like buying that second turkey tag, I have to admit, it is, it's kind of like throwing an extra cooler in the back of your truck when you're going fishing, you know what I mean? It's like, they don't like that. The fishing gods, they're like, oh, you think you're going to fill a whole cooler? Well, sorry, pal, you're
1: you're pretty much done. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, I know, and that's why the last few years I hadn't bought a second tag. There's a couple reasons for that. One, I was like, I, after I'm done, instead of just continuing to hunt, just be happy with it, and be done. <laughs> you know, I already put so much time in the deer woods, and you know, don't I don't need to hunt every day of the season and in the spring too? But um, yeah, and then I, I used to buy that second tag, and for a couple years I was filling them both, and then I felt like I was on a bad streak. So I quit buying it, and I've been good ever since um, with just one tag filling it, and now I'm I'm tr- testing my luck again. So hopefully uh, it all works out, and hopefully the same for you, too, and then uh, taking out your son. Well, you know, the thing this year
0: with this, this darn coronavirus quarantine is I figured— honestly for 23 bucks or whatever it cost me for that second tag i i really don't even care if i use it at least i have the option because you know i'm not going to ohio i was actually supposed to be in florida this week uh, hunting hogs you know there's no travel this spring so if i'm gonna do any hunting at all it's gonna be turkey hunting here close to home so i was like what the heck you know let's just buy the tag if i'm lucky and i have like a great season uh, it'll keep me you know in the field as long as i want to be and if i end up just eating it well it won't be the first or last tag that i've eaten in my lifetime so hopefully there's going to be a lot more to be honest with you before i'm all said and done
1: yeah no i I hear you there and that's this i was planning on going to ohio and and possibly hunting with clint and everything and then that you know all fell through with with everything going on here so it's um I was like same same mindset was like i'm gonna pick up a second tag to to be able to enjoy that here yeah so
0: so um transitioning then from from uh the turkey to coming back to something you said really towards the beginning of the show you talked about you know you think you already have like 200 miles of hiking under your belt for the spring so far how much of the time that you're actually in the field for your spring scouting is areas where you've hunted in the past versus areas that you looked at maybe during the winter on onyx and you're
1: exploring new ground um i'd say this year was probably close to 50 50 um maybe a little bit more towards older areas or areas i've been to but um i the last The last year, I did almost 100% of new areas, just trying to find different country, trying to find really just like, I, I wanted to find a different age class of deer and just try to really find next level, some next level bucks. And it's not that I'm, you know, this big trophy hunter. I, I shoot, you know, um, I, I'm not trying to shoot, the, well, I'm trying to shoot the biggest deer in the woods, but I'm not a person that's going to hold out for that. But I just wanted to, you know, I I like the adventure side of looking at new areas and doing that. But this year I kind of decided that, you know, it it takes a good, I've known this, but it takes a good three years to really know an area. So I'm trying to, you know, take that into consideration and, and keep scouting some of the areas I have based off of the sign or the experiences I had in the fall and, you know, try to learn some more about these spots, you know. Pick up a few sheds along the way, see if there's any correlation between, you know, the previous year and, and this year. If the sign's the same, you know, is there any sort of patterns we can find there or, or not? And then also just, you know, writing off some of the new areas too. If I'm going in, it might look good online and on a map and I go into the spot and it's, you know, subpar, then I'm going to cross that off. I, I, I like to have five areas to have at my disposal at any time to hunt because you know I always feel like I'm going through plan A, B, C, D by the time the end of the season's there. And I always I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket. I want to have options. And uh so that's that's why I, I do spread myself out a little bit, but um but also making sure that I'm you know circling back around to the areas that I've hunted in the past.
0: Yeah, you actually had a really good article that we just published in our June issue called "Should I Stay or Should I Go?" and you're definitely one of those hunters that is constantly feeling uh, an inner turmoil over, you know, hunting an area that you've known for several years and you've got some familiarity with, maybe some success, and then you've also got this wanderlust that's like. You're just one of those guys that I think that's part of your DNA and, you know, you want to know what's over the next hill, what's around the next corner. And you're always, you know, if you're hunting somewhere you've hunted before, you're probably spending at least part of that day wondering
1: if you should have gone and hunted
0: somewhere else. (laughs)
1: that's christian if you could be in my truck in the morning as i'm driving to a spot to hike into my tree stand it's probably the most stressful thing you've ever seen i i am like at a point where i'm like sitting in the middle of the road do i turn left do i go right i'm not sure (laughs) it's one of those things i'm constantly in my head just thinking of different things and wanting to see you know what could happen here and you know sometimes that can be to a fault but uh I, i like seeing new things i like testing myself in different areas, seeing how things apply. I, the way my brain kind of works is like, I just like testing things and seeing what works and what doesn't. And I'm constantly going back and forth in that because I also like success and I like to, you know, be able to, you know, kill a deer every year and, and a good deer. And if honestly, if I hunted, you know, a lot of the same areas year after year, probably would do, you know, maybe even a little better than I do now, but just from the the past experience. But as I wrote in that article, that can be true, but you can also become really complacent with it and you can start to get lazy because you're, you're basing your hunting off of history and a memory rather than the sign that's in front of you. And by me moving around all the time and going to different spots and areas, I'm hunting the sign and I'm always, you know, cognitively thinking about what's what's happening now and being able to adapt and change to that so that's there's there's pros and cons to both of them and that's what i was writing about in that article there is is you know and with my elk hunt this last year that was that same situation i i hunted in colorado for three years and I had encounters with elk. I started to really learn the area, see where the hunting pressure was coming from, but I hadn't killed one. And this past year, I decided to change everything and go to Idaho just based off of research. The success rates were higher. The bull to cow ratio was higher. There was just a bunch of things that lined up to make it seem like it could be a better hunt but that's all on paper. You know, I, I had the comfort of knowing Colorado and being there before and having encounters like, you know, it was, it was a tough decision in my head, but I decided to make the change. And, you know, after spending 30 some days in Colorado over the last three years on day one in Idaho, I ended up killing a bull and not, not to say that, that, uh, that was all based on me switching areas. I'm sure there's, a, you know, there's a lot of luck that was involved with that. But for the next 14 days of that hunt, when I was helping my buddies out, you know, we got an elk almost every day. And that was a, a situation where m- taking that gamble and changing areas really paid off for us. But, um, you know, it, it took, there was a lot of thinking and a lot of um, going back and forth on it before I ended up, you know, making that decision.
0: Yeah. And I mean, let's face it, if you have an area that's like just dead nuts, lights out, world class hunting, you're probably not going to leave it. But yeah. if if you have been kind of like mediocre, you know, like just, you know, even an area that's halfway decent isn't necessarily as good as it could be you know what I'm saying and everyone kind of I guess has to draw that line for themselves and that's one thing you talked about in the story you know like I mean I can even think about areas here close to home where there's some areas that I've hunted deer over the years that aren't too bad you know there's deer there and you know you might kill one every now and then and maybe there's a good buck in there but it's not like it's not like it was so good that it stopped me from going you know to new places and actually uh, i got an, a, a new place just this past year that is you know one of the best places i've i've ever had around here and it's like because i'm just one of those people where are probably not on the same scale as you um but i'm not hunting i'm not hunting the size of parcels that you are either the properties are much smaller here we don't have an overabundance of public land not big contiguous public land like that in, in this part of the state. So, um, but I'm always looking for new spots. I mean, that's part of, part of being successful at anything, whether it's bull hunting or distance running or entrepreneurism, starting businesses, you can never be satisfied, right? So, anybody who's committed to something is always trying to look for something better and, and that's just human nature.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you really have to – the way I look at it is you really got to put yourself outside of your comfort zone if you want to grow and you want to be better, you know, whether – depending whether it's hunting or anything in life. And and it sucks to do that a lot of times, and it's not easy, but in my experience, I feel like it really pays off in the end. Um, you learn so much, and you sometimes you come out on top. Other times you come out – you know, stomp down in the bottom, and you just got to you know pick yourself up and try something else. You know, and just keep moving. And that's kind of the just like you said, that's just kind of the outlook I've taken with it. And every area is different. That's what's so cool about say, just talking about white-tailed deer, for example. You know, they live in so many places, and each one of them has different you know difficulties. You know, with the, the big timber, you know, that I hunt. You know, there's not real good bed to feed you can't glass them in the summers you can't there's a, a lot of things that make that hard but then you go to like you other parts of the state like where you're at and you have smaller parcels if the deer aren't living on that parcel or they're betting on a neighbors or whatever then there's nothing you can do about it you know and that makes it difficult or if you know the neighbors aren't or you know aren't shooting the caliber deer you're looking or they're shooting you know younger deer and you're looking for older deer and there's just so many different things that you know each of us has our own you know struggles with it and difficulties depending on where we're hunting just adapting to it and, and uh trying to find you know success and however you define that
0: oh yeah i mean like where i hunt here in eastern pennsylvania bow I, I i can tell you confidently that never in my life have I had permission to hunt on a property that was large enough to encompass the entire home range of a buck. So, what I'm saying is, every single buck that I've killed in my life has lived only a fraction of its life on whatever given property I happen to take those deer on, right? Because most days where I live, um, you know, I just think about the area where I hunt the most. There's like my my buddy's farm, uh, some other ground that his neighbor owns that he leases, which I can also hunt. So that's two properties, and then there's several other neighbors. You know, that kind of form that general area. And in any given day, I mean, any one of those deer could be on any one of those five properties or across the road on a couple of other properties or up on the backside of the mountain on other properties. And it's just the way that it is. So you don't control you know, you're talking about trying to hunt. I always think just bow hunting in, gen, in general is amazing because especially if you're hunting one buck, you know, and I, you think, I think any bow hunter thinks the same thing, no matter where you hunt. You, I guarantee when I say this, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I think that same thing. Like you think about that deer that you want to kill and you're like, so I know that deer is like over here some, somewhere in this general area. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out in the woods tomorrow morning. I'm going to pick a tree and I'm going to go up in that tree. And I want that deer to walk within 30 yards of that tree in a spot where it's open enough for me to shoot it with a bow during the daylight. And I and that's going to happen. You're like, well, what are the stinking odds, even with the scouting and
1: the homework? You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, I, I know, and I, that's run through my head more more times. Than I like to admit, and I try to push it out because it's like it gets super depressive when you put it that way. You know, I'm like, like okay, this is, you know, say a piece of property where I'm at, you know, thousands of acres essentially. And I know the deer's home range isn't that big, but trying to the same thing like you said, put that deer or have him walk within bow range in daylight hours and the wind stays in your favor like all those things is like very very slim when you when you really think about it yeah and that's why you know
0: sometimes I don't know about you but in my life my bow hunting life I've actually been very streaky and I tend to go through periods where I kill a lot of stuff and I'll have like a couple of years where I'll go like a hundred on every hunt so I'll get my buck here in Pennsylvania I'll visit several other states each year and I kill 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 and then I'll just go through like this dry spell and I'll have a year or two where it's like I might kill a couple of animals total. And it's like, when you get into one of those dry spells, I have definitely had, you know, struggling times where I'm like, you're sitting up there and you're literally saying to yourself, it's a miracle anybody ever kills anything with a bow. Then when you're in those good times, you're like, hey, this is easy, man. There's nothing to it. Just just put me out in the woods anywhere. And, and you know what's funny about that is when you go on like, when you're in one of those hot streaks and you go, let's say you go to the Midwest or something on an outfitted hunt. And so you're in camp with this whole group of guys, you know, and it's like, Everyone has this certain stand that they want to go to because that's the hot spot. And like, you've never been there before. So you're like, oh, just put me anywhere. And they're like, well, you know, put, just put Christian over here in this like out of the way spot. And it's like, no, I don't care where you put me, man. When I'm in one of those hot spots, I'll kill one and you guys will all be puking your guts out when you come to pick me up later because you're like, how did you do that? And, uh, it's not a fair game, I guess is what I'm saying. It is not fair.
1: Yeah. Oh, and I I get in those streaks. I've been in those streaks too. Where like, um, as far as like my shooting, even you know, there's times where I feel like I can't miss. Like no matter what I do, I am on. And then there's times when, say, I I miss a shot or misjudge a judge a yardage, or I just completely come down to me and I say miss a deer. Then I feel like I'm so down, and my confidence is out that like it's difficult to recover from it. And you kind of go in streaks that way too. And and you know, I, I yeah, I definitely feel like all aspects of hunting can come in streaks like that and it's it's a difficult thing to recover from.
0: That's uh that's one thing. You can hear me knock on for mica. It's not wood, knock on for mica. I, I, I have to say I used to feel the same way about my shooting, but Since about, I'm going to go say it's about five years now, since I switched to attention-activated release, I had battled some target panic really bad and I had to like literally go through a rehab program like like an addict would go through rehab, you know, to get off of their addiction. I had to go through a rehab to reprogram my brain and get over that target panic. And as part of that, I get a lot of... Uh, training with hinge releases and then eventually got a tension activated release um, that you just pull. It, it's got a, it's not a hinge release. It's got a jaw that locks and you just hook onto your knocking loop like you same way you would um but i have a safety instead of a trigger so i just hold the safety to draw and once i'm anchored i can let off and just aim and pull and when you pull hard enough when there's enough tension on there the jaw lets go and the shot fires so <laughs> since i since i've switched to that uh, i shoot a quarter revolution but there's some other releases out there like that that has completely changed my consistency of shooting you know both on the range and in the field it's honestly i gotta be honest with you i i'm not sure that i have missed um trying to think if i've had a deflection maybe or something i think i i think i did have a deflection uh on one animal but it's it's very very rare that i would make an absolutely terrible shot anymore um so if you haven't done that by i I don't know. Check it out sometime. I don't know if you and Clint ever talk about that sort of thing.
1: I was just going to say that, that um, last year I went through it so bad where I couldn't even pick up my bow um, from the target panic side of it, and, like, I just felt terrible. Um, I went through – I actually went through uh, uh, John Dudley's knock on – the School of Knock on YouTube, went through kind of his stuff there and re- started from the beginning, talked to people like Clint and some others that had helped me I you know Clint wouldn't let me put my sight on my bow um, until almost August to be honest I said I shot all summer blank bail, just practicing then with the hinged style release and I uh, really started over again retrained my mind and and then I you know ended up feeling good shot good and then switched over to a thumb release for hunting and shot my elk at 60 yards perfect shot everything felt great so I'm, I'm on a good streak right now and i feel super confident and you know i'm back to shooting the, the hinge again all summer and uh, well i did all spring here and into the summer and i feel better than ever so I'm, I'm hoping that i have the same situation as you and my confidence is is really high and i just feel more controlled than than i ever have
0: yeah confidence kills. That's what I always like to say. and uh it's funny you mentioned Dudley because he was the one along with Randy ulmer who you know, I talked to quite a bit when I was going through all this and and Dudley was actually the one who sent me um a couple different hinge releases from Carter and then that that evolution, which is interestingly enough now I know he's making some of his own releases. Uh, in partnership with Carter now, but basically that, that evolution is the template, if you will, for one or two of the ones that he's doing through Knock On now. But he, he modified it a little bit, but it's the same idea. And, and he started his wife and his son – with that evolution when they learned to shoot a bow and and went hunting and they never knew anything different. And it was the craziest thing because as I went through all this with John, I just said to him, I'm like, why do we like even start everybody with these crappy $50, $60 index finger wrist strap releases when almost all of them are like, almost guaranteed to give you target panic if you shoot them for long enough and then you're all going to be in the same boat as me and Bo and have to go through this whole process you know at at 40 years old or in your case 25 or however old you are man and and you know it just would save us all a lot of aggravation if we actually learned how to shoot the right way the first time and understand what that surprise release is all about because and you know it's funny I don't mean to I always end up talking about target panic, and I don't mean to keep doing shows where we get into this, but it's the reason that we do, bow is because everybody goes through this sooner or later, and um, so if you're listening right now and you're kind of like, yeah, man, I'm in that bad place right now, you know, I'm in the dark tunnel, um, if you've never used a hinge release just on the practice range as a training tool, I'm not telling you you have to hunt with it, but if you've never used one you probably don't even understand what a surprise release is because the first time you pick up that hinge release and you execute the shot with that thing, it's going to scare you to death. You might even poop your pants. Am I wrong about,
1: you know, that's, that's exactly right. That's I, I yeah, you're, you're, you're saying exactly right there. I am um, when I first did it, it scared me. Like I didn't know what was happening and just, it felt weird. And now when that breaks, that surprise release, like it's like the greatest, greatest feeling. I'll tell you what the greatest feeling is, Bo. The greatest feeling
0: is when you're on a hunt and, you, you know, the animal is finally in range, right? Let's say you've been hunting all week and you've been anticipating this. And it's finally the opportunity when you come to full draw. And you look through that peep site, you you get settled in at your anchor, and you're watching your pin on the vital areas of the animal. And you know, because of the work that you've put in with your shooting and the comfort level that you're at, that when that shot breaks, that animal is dead. Like I went from dreading those moments because you had so much anxiety because I thought I was going to screw up. I've gone 180 degrees the other direction. When I get the full draw on an animal now and I see the pin on the vital, I'm like, this animal is going to be dead in like 30 seconds because as soon as I can, because you start to build tension on that release that I shoot. And I'm like, this this shot is going to break at any second. And as soon as that happens, the only place that that arrow can possibly go is right where the pin is. And the pin is perfect. And you're like, he's yep. dead. He is dead and like, wow, you can't put a price on that confidence, you know, because I've been, again, I have been, you have been on the other end of that. And is there anything more miserable and joyless in a bow hunt than actually like secretly hoping that
1: you don't get an opportunity to screw up? Yeah, I know. And that's, that's the absolute worst feeling. And like you said, once, if anybody's even have a, a lick of an issue with it, I just recommend learning you know reteaching yourself to to shoot and get that surprise feeling and changing up the release and and you know it's not all the tool but you know it's the, the process as well but everything when you do all those things together you will thank yourself later it's a it's a painful process I hated it I didn't like that that whole the whole process of learning it but once I committed to it and went all in like it was the best decision i've made for my my bow hunting career
0: yeah and since we're on the topic i'm going to give a shameless plug for the magazine the july issue which we're just wrapping up now i was reviewing layouts here uh last week and this week Uh, we've got an article that larry wise wrote Uh, larry is a former Champion himself and has worked with a, a lot of the best shooters in the country including our uh, US uh, archery team and Larry um, wrote an article in there the headline on that is mastering your release aid and and the subhead is the perfect shot requires the perfect release and so it's a whole article about a lot of this stuff that Bo and I have been talking about and if you can master your release aid technique you're going to shoot so much better, and you're going to have that confidence. And again, to me, it all comes down to confidence. A confident bow hunter is a deadly bow hunter. And to bring our buddy Clint back into the conversation one more time, he's just talking about that in in his latest article for that issue too about keys. Um, he had an article in there about beating the odds on public land. And it wasn't all about shooting. It was about a bunch of the other stuff we were talking about, Bo, like being confident in your area because you've done your homework and, um, you know, being confident in your equipment, being confident in your physical ability. And yeah, ultimately being confident in your, uh, ability to make the shot. But ultimately, as Clint said, you know, these bow hunters such as Clint, such as yourself, who are consistently successful on public land. You're not just hoping for an opportunity, you're expecting an opportunity. And because of that, you have that mindset that you're in the game all the time. And so you're ready to pounce like at any moment.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I couldn't agree anymore. And I've, you know, I've learned a lot of that from being around successful people. And then even people like, you know, Clint becoming friends with him, like his his attitude and his mindset is contagious, and it's it's you know there's a reason why he's as successful as he is, and you know not only does he you know work really hard for it, but he just has that that mindset that he's always going to be successful, and I think that's that's really really good thing to have.
0: Yeah, yeah. The harder you work, the luckier you get, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Why don't we wrap up with this, man? Give me a sneak peek of Bo Tonic's year. What kind of, uh, I know you'll obviously be chasing uh, deer here in Pennsylvania. And by the way, um, before you answer that, let me just back up. I I wanted to work your dad in there, and you'll have to remind me of his first name. But folks, if you're listening to this show and you've been impressed with Bo, I just want you to know that he doesn't know anything that his dad didn't teach him, in, including how to kill really good bucks in the mountains, which your dad... It killed a great deer last year so I wanted to congratulate him and I wanted to kind of preview your article that you're going to have coming up later this year about that hunt why don't you just uh, give a quick shout out to dad and remind me remind me what I what his name is again
1: yeah so my, my dad's name is Joe so not too far from Bo there and um, yeah I, I've, I've said it in other podcasts of my own and and writing in this article that's coming up and you know, I don't think I told him about that yet but uh you know writing an article about his buck that he shot last year which was an unbelievable you know Pennsylvania deer and he is just he's taught me everything he's the most consistent bow hunter that I've ever met when it comes to hunting these big woods deer I mean like it's it's not if it's when for him every single year you know he's going to kill a good deer and you know he's just put in the work he's still when i say i you know scouted 200 miles he's probably done 300 like he just he still blows me out of the water and everything and um yeah so i'm i'm pumped to get to write that article um about that and yeah everything that that i've done is because of him and what he's taught me so with that where where are you going to take all that knowledge
0: that joe has Given you and put it into practice this year, other than Pennsylvania?
1: Oh, I'm uh, going to Alaska to caribou hunt. And I'm going to caribou hunt. You dog!
0: You dog! I know.
1: I know. I'm so pumped about it. It's a flying um, fly hunt up uh, north of the Arctic Circle. So, going to do that in late August. Really, really excited about that. It's been on the forefront of my mind. Um, And then pennsylvania most likely ohio whitetail um but potentially another elk hunt but i i don't think i'm gonna swing it this year but so can
0: uh can uh, Pete peterson's bow hunting can i call dibs with all the witnesses of those who are listening on your caribou story can i lock that up for a 2021 feature article
1: yeah yeah christian i this is this is what you do you you find a way to be able to get me locked in but uh no i'd be happy to do that (laughs) well i was gonna
0: say if you say no i'm just gonna hit delete and never publish this episode buddy That's the way it is i mean i don't want i i hate to resort to like you know dirty pool but i gotta play this game anyway any way i can you know to get
1: the best content for our readers you know, every everyone's listening to this right now, and now they're 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 figuring it out. They're figuring out Christian and his, his games. No, I'm I'm just kidding. Well, I, you uh, know,
0: truth I, be told, truth. Truth, truth be told, Bo, it doesn't matter if they like me as long as they like the magazine. You see what I'm saying? And, and honestly, they're probably happy. They're like, they're like, I see now that that Christian, I always thought he was a decent guy, but I see that he's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. But in a way, as disappointed as I am to learn that, I'm kind of happily, selfishly happy as a Peterson's bow hunting reader and subscriber because he's doing whatever he has to to get the best articles for me. So I don't really care how much of
1: a jerk he is. <laughs> yep. Hey, that's that's a good way of looking at it. Christian. But yeah, right. that's right. I can't that's wait perfect. to be able to, to write about that. Just as exciting, excited as I am to write this one that I have due to you here in a couple of weeks for my elk hunt and the four year journey that we briefly discussed here today um, to kill an elk. So I'm I'm really pumped to write that article.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh man, I remember like some of those images that came out of that hunt and like that one that, you know, we may use that as like the lead on your story. I'm just thinking of it in my mind like... Dude, the emotion—like you're you're not crying, but it like honestly looks like you're on the verge of tears. And like seriously, we've all been there. Four years and so much literally like sweat and and uh, sweat equity that went into that, and the amount of time that you spent traveling, getting ready, training—it is a huge like emotional um release when you have that and and some of those images that you had from that hunt were awesome dude congratulations on that elk
1: yeah yeah thank you thank you very much like i just i couldn't describe the emotion that I felt in that like i said it was over 30 some days of hunting an endless amount of scouting and work put into that one moment and that one shot and like i just uh, every i've been i was just flooded with emotion at that point and um so,
0: and when this article comes out, you know, for those who are listening, if you don't know Bo, um, like if you haven't seen his articles or his Instagram or whatever, um, by the way, Bo, what's your Instagram if people want to follow you?
1: You can check me out um, on Instagram at bo and that's spelled B E A U dot M A R T O N I K, and then I also have everything with. With my podcast, the East Meets West Hunt podcast, um, you can find that at eastmeetswesthunt.com, and then the Instagram for that is at eastmeetswesthunt. So, so Bo,
0: in addition to being a really good guy, a really good bow hunter. A host of his own podcast he also rocks one of the very best rut stashes in the entire hunting industry and so (laughs) if you haven't if you haven't seen Bo's mustache i'm pretty sure it actually has its own instagram account too but it's a private account and i can't give you that information but i did i did want to give you an opportunity before we wrap this up if you have any grooming tips for our rut stashes and any products that you may have endorsed deals whether that be a mustachio wax uh, a trimmer um, you know anything along those lines please share that with us because most of the people they've stuck with us for an entire hour just hoping that I would ask you these questions
1: at the end you know Christian there's there's one thing that there's one simple trick to be able to grow the the rustache that I have and that is just to let it grow and be as trashy as possible. That's all there is to it. There's no, there's no any tips, tricks to it. Just let it go.
0: <laughs> and how, how long do you, when do you start? Like, does it, do you start in August
1: or or do you grow it in quick and thick? Oh, it's, it's actually a year round thing now. Um I, I, I don't shave it anymore. It used to be just a hunting season thing that I grow like, starting like september ish and grow through november and i'd shave it after november November and now uh yeah it's it's year round now
0: is it true that your mustache has been on several dates where you actually weren't invited
1: yeah that is true i I don't like to talk about that so thanks for calling me out but yeah it it gets more attention than my uh, personality does that's for sure
0: well it definitely is uh you know, as as I proved, you know, maybe during this whole last segment here, but a couple minutes ago with my extortion tactics. Let's face it, my friend we we got to do what we
1: got to do, right? Yep, you're exactly right. I mean, if I shave this thing, everything that I've done up to this point would probably go away because they wouldn't. Rec- nobody would recognize me anymore. So it's kind of part of who I am. Absolutely, and that
0: is a great way to end the show. That is. That is who mister Bo Martonic is. And he's a he's a mountain hunting, adventuring bow hunting fool. And uh, I, I'm glad that you're my friend. I'm glad that you are a contributor to Peterson's bow hunting. And I wish you all the best this year, and I look forward to uh, those articles that you're gonna be sending my way soon and sharing those with uh everybody in the magazine. So thank you so much, Bo, for your time. I'm glad we were finally able to do this. And I think that next time uh we'll have to get Mr. Casper on as well and do that that three way that we promised.
1: Yes, let's let's definitely do that. And thanks Christian for having me on. Um I uh I was really looking forward to doing this for a long time. So thank you. Oh you got it buddy. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.